I suspect not as long as normal. That was, we'll see. Probably just touch on it, at least two aspects of it tonight. There's so much more here. Uh, looking back at the tabernacle, I know we've had several weeks that we have done something differently. But again, as I was rehearsing to Brother Hall, uh, what I, you know, the plan after we went through Jude uh, to, in our future studies, to deal with the tabernacle in the Old Testament, probably the priests. Maybe some, and you know, some of the offerings, the priest's garments and, and offerings and, and things like that. Get an idea and a foundation for Hebrews. Because Hebrews re-rehearses in the heavenly sense what we understand in, in the Old Testament, Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, what we see in the earthly sense with the children of Israel. And uh, including the priesthood, although it's a different priesthood. And we all understand that. If you, you know, read the Bible and understand that uh, it's after different orders as far as priesthood goes. But there are similarities in the offerings and so on and so forth. Except Christ's offering is once for all. Hallelujah. Amen. So anyway, uh, but so that's the deal. And after we go through Hebrews, and again, this is not just going to happen over the next few weeks. <laughs> it's going It'll, it'll take us a while to get there. And after Hebrews, the plan is then go back to Daniel and re then Revelation, or maybe Daniel and Revelation together, since they both in several passages tie in one with another. Or Daniel and then Revelation, one of the two, whichever way the Lord directs there. And that'll be the plan. But again, it might take us a while to get there. We might be in heaven, looking at the heavenly tabernacle uh, before we get there. Amen. Uh, but then that'll be fine with me, you know. And Moses and Joshua says, come over here, let me show you something. <laughs> Aaron, come on, come on in here. And uh, here's the pat. here Moses, here's the pattern that God showed me. Uh, so that'd be a blessing, what a blessing. So that's after, probably after the millennial reign, somewhere along the way there. Yes, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I can talk about it now. That's exactly right. Hmm. Yeah, and so, uh, and uh, like I've shared with you, you know, the Dugology on it, um, as far as uh, Bellology, if you want to put it that way, the, uh, you know, there's seven and a half, I'm sorry, seven years of tribulation here on this earth, three and a half years of the false peace, and then three and a half years of great tribulation, the Bible tells us, and it divides it up in three and a half and three and a half as far as the earthly happenings. And I just think, and, you know, we know that the judgment seat of Christ is going to happen while we've pulled it away, and the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to happen. I'm thinking three and a half years of judgment seat, that's going to be rough. Then three and a half years of supper, woo! Hallelujah, Amen. I can, I can. I don't know if, like I said, that's that's Bellology. So, uh, but uh, you talk about humbling when you really get to thinking about it, and you see and understand and know that Christ Himself is going to gird Himself, and He's going to serve me. Mm. That, that just really. You think on, on those things, it really humbles you. Amen. And uh, and then we're coming back. We're going to mount up on a white horse. And we're going to come back as one of, the, uh, one of the armies that we read about this morning in Jude. One of the army. But we're not going to have to fight. We're just long for the ride. He's going to do all the fighting with his tongue, with his mouth, Amen. as we read in Revelation as well. All right, we're not in Revelation. We're in Exodus. All right, Exodus chapter 26. Exodus 26. Uh, let's read the first 14 verses. Exodus 26, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, and blue, and purple, and scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work, shalt thou make them. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits, the breadth of one curtain four cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. 
The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and other five and other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. And thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the selvage in the coupling. So all you sowers might have to help the men out there as far as what's a selvage and so on and so forth. <laughs> from the selvage in the coupling. And likewise thou shalt make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second, that the loops may take hold one of another. And thou shalt make fifty tacks of gold, a couple of, uh, and couple the curtains together with the tacks, and it shall be one tabernacle. And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair, to be a covering upon the tabernacle, eleven curtains shalt thou make. The length of one curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits, and the eleven curtains shall be all of one measure. And thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves, and six, and six curtains by themselves, and shalt double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle, and thou shalt make fifty loops on the edge of the one curtain that the outmost in the coupling and fifty loops in the edge of the curtain which coupleth the second. And thou shalt make fifty tacks of brass and put... Hang on a second. Uh, okay. I just missed, uh, overread uh, something earlier. So and thou shalt... Uh, Make fifty tacks of brass and put the tacks into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. And the remnant that remaineth of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remaineth shall hang over the back side of the tabernacle and a cubit on the one side and a cubit on the other side of that which remaineth in the length of the curtains of the tent it shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram's skins dyed red and a covering above of badger skins. Looks like we're going to just just deal with two, two aspects of this tonight. Uh, but what I had to go back and read uh, and find is the, uh, the first, the fine line twin in... Tw tw in the fine, <laughs> where is we at? Um, twined linen, there we go. Fine twined linen is held together, uh, that first one is held together by the tax of gold. And then whenever I read tax of brass on the second one, I had to make sure that I read gold the first time, all right? Cause, and uh, we're going to pray here in a second. We're going to look at these, just the, the first curtain and the second curtain, but the goat, goat skins tonight, we're not going to get down to the badger skins, uh, but these coverings here and just only aspects of these. But I, I, when we read all this, you know, lots of times when we read, when we read uh, passages like this, we just read through it just to get through it, say we can, it says we can get through it. And it's studies like this that I wanted to get to because, and I really enjoyed the first time and the second time that we went through it, I went through it in the Bible Institute there at, the, at Island Ford the first time and then... Later on, we had a man in the church where the Wayne Smith took, took this and went through it in the men's Sunday school class again and just rehearsed it and did a real good job with it and, and re-brought things out. And I really appreciated the study and appreciate the study because we read so much here and like we've pointed out in the gold and the, and the shittim wood and the crown and all the aspects of the furnishings that we've already dealt with, then all these do, everything points to Christ. So we're going to see here tonight the curtains uh, that, uh, that, uh, and the tent uh, that we, we talk about here. Uh, that's the only deal we're going to deal with here, the very first part, the, the curtain for verse number one and then verse number seven. But then what I wanted to point out or what I wanted to reach and grab and hold to is the one is held together with a tax of gold and the other tax of brass. So the gold itself will mean something when it comes to an aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the, gold, the tax of brass. Brass often points to judgment. That's the brazen altar there, which we're going to get to eventually, is judgment. Judgment happens at the altar. And uh, so they have the brazen altar. And brass in the Word of God often speaks about judgment when you read about brass. Um, you know, and it's so sad. Uh, I know this is off the subject a little bit. But when we read the account of was Hezekiah that showed the Babylonians or what he had, all those shields of gold, and then they come and took them, and then he had to make shields of brass to replace them because judgment. <laughs> he should not have done that. And so, uh, so you have these things. And then the number 50, that means something. It meant something in the New Testament with the Pentecost. So all these things that we often read over, you know, if you'll just slow down, <laughs> compare Scripture with Scripture, and understand all, each of these little aspects, then it, it just opens up a whole lot of things. Uh, and again, everything pointing to Christ himself. All right, so again, we're just going to look at, uh, at the, the, the curtains tonight. We'll get into the tacks and the, and the loops and the colors. The colors are even there. They mean something uh, in our future studies. Um, and so we're going to look at this tonight. So the first 14 verses of the 26th chapter of Exodus, and I am going to rely heavily on Mr. Weaver's word tonight, and uh, just because uh, it's been a long week, but I am, I'm just throwing it out there. These are common, see, so uh, focus attention on the ceiling and the roof of the tabernacle. These are commonly referred to as the curtains and the coverings. There are two sets of curtains, linen and goat's hair. We, we read that. There are, two, there are also two sets of coverings, ram skins and badger skins. In verse number 14, we're not going to get that far yet. Uh, the first set of curtains, uh, 10 in number, is called the tabernacle. In verse number 1, moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with 10 curtains. Of course, he, he tells you there in verse number 6 also that it shall be one tabernacle. So he's dealing with and calling it a tabernacle and then... Um, and then we see in verse number 13 that the goat's hair curtains are called the tent. So the tabernacle and the tent, two different layers, if you want to put it that way, when you build this. And in, in the study tonight, you'll actually see what the priest sees and where the priest operates and uh, what is covered. And again, the pictures of all this when it comes to, uh, you'll see it in a second, when it comes to our sin and so on and so forth again, what Christ done for us. So the first set of curtains, 10 in number is called the tabernacle. The set, second set, 11 number, 11 in number is called the tent. Verse number 13, as indicated by the verse, or by verse 7, the tabernacle is covered by the tent. The order in which the curtains and coverings are named is from the inside to the outside. And also, we never did deal with, and I, for whatever reason, and I, I know he has it in his reading and the study, but I, I've overlooked it, but... And I, oh, I know why. It's just the way that it's laid out in the scriptures. There was another piece of furniture, but in, in the order of the scriptures, it's not dealt with. Uh, and that is the altar of incense. We didn't deal with that. We dealt with the, um, the candlestick and the table of showbread and the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. But the altar of incense hasn't been dealt with now. Now we're going to the coverings. Okay. Uh, the actual, the, the structure itself, as far as the, the, the yeah, absolutely, these, these curtains and things. So, um, but like it says here, man's work is from the outside in, but God's work is from the inside out. Man looketh on the outside, and the Lord looketh on the heart. The Lord starts on the inside. And, there's, and I was just testifying this yesterday of my bro, with my brother coming down the road, and, and you know, there were times, and I mentioned a message <coughs> preached by Brother <coughs> Ed Ballou. <coughs> you can look it up on, we play it on radio station, uh, WSOF from time to time on Preacher's Hour. But I'm sure it's out there on, in cyberspace. Called Here Come the Pharisees. And it was preached at uh, a camp meeting at uh, Sand Mountain, Georgia back in the 70s. And uh, Brother uh, Ballou lost a lot of friends from that message. Uh, because, you know, they were Pharisees. Uh, you know, men that um, had uh, 
you know, I wanted you to fall under the, 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 uh, uh, the auspices of the governance of the pastor and just silly things, you know, uh, beards or no beards, wire rim glasses versus the, the plastic rim glasses, cowboy boots and things like that. And, and so, you know, often, and what I said in that conversation was that men, and I know, I know some of them, good, you know, I mean, we'd say they're great preachers and they get up behind the pulpit one thing or another, but, um, but they have a tendency to, you know, when the person comes in, instead of dealing with them as a sinner, you know, they try to clean up the sinner themselves. And, you know, they'll say what they need to do, you know, they need to start dressing right, spitting white, and... <laughs> And, you know, cut their hair and clean up. And what they're doing is they're making a, oftentimes, a two-morefold child of hell in doing this because what they're doing is, is people are falling under the, uh, the in, falling in line of the preacher's standards and not, not being saved. They're cleaning up the outside because the pastors say, okay, if you're going to sing in my choir, you know, you've got to be a certain hold to a certain standard. And, uh, you know, I know, and, and it's, it's, it's uh, what's I'm looking for? Well, oftentimes it is a, uh, a preference, and I understand where they're coming from. If you're up in front of, we don't necessarily hold that to here, but if you're up in front of the, the people, the visitors, whether you're, you know, if those that ushers taking up offerings, those that, are song leading, those that are teaching, those that are preaching, to have a certain look and a standard about yourself. Because, you know, you are representing the church, but you're representing God. And they're coming in and they're looking at examples of things. And I'm not, you know, so, you know, oftentimes we, we let down a little bit, but just the pastor that I know, this, this old church fight, and I think it was Brother Shock actually. Brother Shock had a desire that the men that took up the offering wore a tie. They didn't have to have a suit, but just a tie. And if you didn't have any ties, the pastor would buy you one. So it wasn't giving you an excuse. Well, I don't have any ties. Okay, I'll buy you some. But you just ask for that, you know, for that. And then but somebody got blowed up. And said and kicked out because the pastor just simply asked him to wear a tie when he took up the offering. So there are those things there, and we and oftentimes men that we know they want the person to clean up on the outside. Oh, going back to that, here come the Pharisees, and I might have said to you this before, probably have in the fact in that that you know the the lady uh, was praying every time the church services was there, asking them to pray for my son, pray for my son, pray for my son, pray for my son. He'll come to church, he'll get saved. Pray for my son, pray for my son. <clears throat> the son finally come to church. <clears throat> and the pastor, instead of going back and welcoming the sinner into the church to finally come into the church and hear the gospel, instead of going back and, and telling him how thankful he was, uh, you know, that the pastor was for him being there, because the son come in with long hair, the pastor says, you can't come in here like this. Now, he's supposed to, and all the rest of the church was supposed to, be praying that the son would come in here, the gospel will be saved. But he mentioned the length of his hair, and he said, I'll never come to church again. And if that was what happened, and maybe he never did, you know, then that's in the 70s, he could be alive today. But that could have ruined that man from ever coming to Christ. And so man works from the outside in. It's just natural because what we see. But God works from the inside out, and, in, and that's the pattern that he deals with here. Uh, God works from the inside out. The movement of man is downward, but the chronology of the materials listed here in the Scriptures uh, in the text shows the movement of God is upward. How different are the directions of God and man? The curtains and coverings for God's house on the earth are four in number, each one was separate from the other and by itself was complete. They emphasized the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ among men recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So again, the cu curtains and coverings for God's house on, on the earth are four 
in number, all right, these four curtains. And that, again, representing of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, again, the Lord's ministry as recorded by them. Each covering and curtain was complete in itself. You can read Matthew by itself, Mark by itself, uh, Luke by itself, John by itself, and be complete in that, but the four of them hooked together, and the especially the... Um, the parallel scriptures, how that, you know, of the crucifixion, each, each gospel writer gave a little bit different aspect, a little bit different detail. Exalted. Philippians 2, 8 and 9, it tells that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. All right, so... So there, there's, that's the, the, the curtains and things itself. Uh, oh, let me read this. So, uh, Curtains is derived from the root of the Hebrew word, which means to tremble or to wave. The desert wind blowing upon these curtains would certainly cause them to tremble or wave. They speak of the sensitivity, sensitiveness of the humanity of Christ to the will of the Father and to the gentle breath of the Holy Spirit. His entire life on earth is illustrated by the ten curtains was an expression of his delicate dedication to the divine. In the temple at the age of twelve, he, he said, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Luke 2, 49. He also said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. John 9, 4. Peter testified that God anointed Jesus by of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Acts 10, 38. The ten curtains were linked together in groups of five by golden clasp, but, were, but there is no information given as to how each one was united to the other. They were probably sewn together, although this is only a logical assumption. All right, the cloth, the cloth is fine twined, that's hard for me to say, fine twined linen, fine twined linen. All right, so... The linen comes from the root word of Hebrew, which means to be white or bright. It was the byssus yarn for which the Egyptians were famous, and it was clear white and costly. White is the color which testifies to the perfect purity of Jesus Christ. Think about this. So where were the, the priests operating? They were operating on the inside, and they only had the candlestick as far as light goes. So a candlestick on white walls, especially bright white walls, would add to the light of the environment versus a darker wall. I don't like, you can paint your house however you want to paint it. I don't like dark rooms, you know, and this, the, you know, the, diff, the different things that comes where they want to paint the ceiling black. It's like uh, a woman I used to work with, um, she... It's her and her husband, unable to have children. And um, she is a thrift store uh, decorator. And she does really well. You look at, you look at her, her, her layouts in her dining room when she puts it out there and some things that she picks up along the way and re, re, you know, repurposes and one thing or another. You're like, wow, that just looks good. You wouldn't realize that. She got those plates down at the Goodwill for a dollar a piece. Or that sconce on the wall or whatever for what she got it. But she does a good job matching things up and putting things together. But here a while back, but, but she redoes her rooms, paint and otherwise, about, I don't know, every couple of years. She's just that way. And uh, she um, she's a black woman that I work with there and... Uh, and her name's Melissa, and she does these little videos of what she's done and when she's doing it. And like I said, there's a lot of things that, you know, I like what she does with her, her table settings and things like that, but this one bathroom, little spare bathroom that she had, she painted all the whole bathroom black. Black walls, maybe a white ceiling, I don't know, but black walls, and she had black and gold. And I'm thinking, I would be depressed going into that bathroom because it's way, way, way too dark. And uh, so the dark walls, maybe an accent wall, but not, not too dark. In my, my opinion, that's just me. So, but you think about the operating environment. So you just have 
the candlestick with the lights from the oil and, and, and the lamps on the candlestick that we read about already in this white environment. And again, speaks to the purity of Christ. And where are, again, where are the priests operating? In that white environment, which speaks to the purity in Christ. And we find that we are in Christ in his righteousness and in Christ in his purity. And there's where we operate as a child of God. We are in him. We see, you know, uh, uh, we don't see our, the darkness of sin, which is the other curtain in here a minute. We don't see that anymore. We see uh, we're on the inside of Christ, if you want to put it that way. So it is white, which testifies the perfect purity of Christ. The life of the Lord on the earth was spotlessly white. This is uh, extenuated on the Mount of Transfiguration when the clothes of Christ became shining, exceeding white as snow, and or so as no fuller on earth can white them, Mark 9, 3. Mark 1, 24, the unclean spirit called Jesus the Holy One of God. Uh, yeah. John described him as Jesus Christ the righteous, uh, 1 John 2, 1. This can be said of no other. The whiteness and brightness of our Lord's righteousness is incapable of human production. The righteousness produced by man is far from white. Our righteousness, the Bible tells us, is as filthy rags. And, uh, well, and that's the reference here, man's righteousness. But we are all unclean, or all as an unclean thing, and our righteousness are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. Notice that the, word, that the linen was twined or twisted from many threads. The righteousness exhibited exhibited by Christ, was woven from every thread of his character and conduct in all his words and works and demonstrated to all the pure white of his perfect humanity. I find in him no fault. Behold the Lamb of God. And, they ha and the Lamb had to be examined for purities, for imperfections, impurities and imperfections. The, the Paschal Lamb, if you want to put it that way, the Passover Lamb was examined, set aside and examined, and they would only take the perfect Lamb. And when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God would take away, and that began his, his period of examination here on this earth, as his earthly ministry began at that time, or around that time. And so we begin to look. Believe me for my work's sake. If you can't believe me for the other, at least believe me for my work's sake. And he told his disciples there in John 14. So all his words and works he demonstrated to be pure white of his perfect humanity. Now let's look at the outer curtains. Again, there's all these colors that we can deal with. I'm not doing that tonight. There are the tacks of gold that we could deal with. I'm not doing that tonight. We'll look at that in the future weeks. I just wanted to deal with that white curtain, that fine twined linen. And then and within that, there, as they were woven together, there are certain designs and things we just read about. But let's look at this outer curtain. So that's the inner curtain. There's the operating space of the priest was inside this white, pure environment and an example of and the purity of Christ and the priests operating in Christ we are in Christ and his righteousness is upon us his robe we're clothed with his righteousness when God sees us he sees us pure past present and future sins brother Lynn dealt with that this morning as far as we are going to be judged by our works because in God's eyes, past, present, and future sins are done away with. We dealt with that over there in First John, I believe it was. The positional, uh, uh, the positional uh, <coughs> sanctification. In Him, positionally, we have no sin. But again, as I dealt with when we were there, you have to keep that separated from when we do sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. So, but positionally, he sees us as righteous in 
Jesus Christ. Let me get there. Again, just to re rehearse that. There we go. In verse John 3, and verse number 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. And where people get off is they don't see that as a positional uh, sanctification. You know, they want to wrap that up in, well, the whole, the whole, and that lasciviousness that we dealt with this morning. They want to say, well, we're, we are, we don't commit sin even, so we'll go out and just live like whatever, I guess. But that's not the way it is. We shouldn't be. As like I said, I do what I want to do. And that's another thing that I've dealt with this week. Uh, and I, it got thrown back at me. I said, you know, if you're in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all, all things are become new. Old things are. Behold, all things. So that word all is in that verse. And, and that was one of the little arguments in that discussion that I was in. Was He goes, not necessarily. I just said, that doesn't say that. Basically, in his mind, you can be saved at 10 years old and then be as liberal as they come with purple and green hair. And you can, you know, wine bib socially and or maybe beyond that. And supposedly you'll still wind up in heaven. It don't work that way. It don't work that way. Old things are uh, passed away. Behold, all things are... You will change. You will... Yeah, what does the old preacher said? I got it written down in here. If you still... If you still are what you were, then you ain't. You will change. It might not be overnight. It took a, it took a few years. I was 14 years old when I got saved. I started chewing tobacco when I was 12. <laughs> and I continued to chew the tobacco until when I was 21. But in time, when I got under a preacher that preached sanctification, that's the problem is the churches I grew up in preached heaven sweet and hell hot. They didn't preach anything to live by. When I got under Brother Shock, he preached things to live by. And that's when you start saying, I might, not need to, I might need to get that out of my life. Because my life is a testimony of Christ. I might need to put that in my life because my life is a testimony of Christ. My life should be to hit God's glory. And when you start operating in that mindset, there are going to be some things that you will get rid of and that you will take on. Longer hymn lines, for example. That's what the things you're going to put on. Higher necklines and things like that that just because you understand and know that you name the name of Christ and like he pointed out this morning in the, in the devotion <laughs> that people on the outside look in. They look at you and, they, and if, you, if you don't measure up and yes, they're going to judge you. And that's where a lot of the... This is... Thank you, Jesus. Um, this is where a whole lot of the, um, of course, in politics, in the, the silent majority, you know, just leave us alone and let us, you know, don't rob us in our taxes and just let us have a good job and let us have a good retirement. And you start taking some of that way, we're going to come out and vote. Otherwise, we're going to be quiet. But sometimes being silent is wrong. We need to sometimes get out and say some things. 
at least to your representative and your senators. Don't be silent. But on the flip side, on the religious side of it, those uh, uh, closet Christians. I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be examined by the world, so I'm just going to be a Christian over here quietly. And I know that I'm saved and going to heaven, but I don't want necessarily everybody that I work with to know that I'm saved. Because then they're going to they're going to look at me. They're going to examine me. They're going to watch me. And if I slip up and fall, so there's, you know, some people talking about Nicodemus being one of those quiet Christians. When we see that he come to Jesus by night, he was a Pharisee. Uh, the other, you know, he come to him by night. He already called him master, so he knew that he. He was uh, already a teacher and already uh, stood out, and he came to him by night so the other Pharisees wouldn't see him. And when he left Christ in John chapter 3, after that discourse of him being born again, we later see him in the burial of Christ. So he continued to apparently operate as a Pharisee, among the Pharisees, but he didn't denounce Phariseeism. But it appears in the Scripture that he followed Christ. But if, you know, that, those things ought not to be necessarily. We, if we're going to take a stand, again, people, and we understand and know that the outside will talk, especially if we fall, and they'll lump us all together. If such and such independent Baptist church in, in fact, this happened uh, while I was trying to, well, looking at starting a church up in Jasper, Indiana. You're talking about a Catholic enclave. Uh, that whole area, uh, Du Bois County and uh, the next county over where, uh, see, Ferdinand, Ferdinand was in uh in Du Bois County, but the, the south of that was an arch abbey. So in Ferdinand was a convent and girls' school. And, and the town below that, in the next county line, right at the county line, was an arch abbey. And there were vineyards. <laughs> and then, you know, every, every town in there that had, the, you know, the Catholic church building, it was always up on a hill, always the big center, centerpiece that you, you, could, you could look in town and see the Catholic church like you look about anywhere in Oklahoma City and see Devon Tower. It was the it was the centermost part of the focus of the town. And I attempted to go up there and try to start a church. And um, I don't know where I was going with that. The uh, oh yeah, I know where I was going with that. So in Hammond, Indiana, for those who knows anything about Hammond, when when the when the pastors there was nationally in the national news reported of improprieties, I'll just leave it at that, made the national news where the headlines is saying, Independent Baptist Church, Hammond, in, in, at least in the state. So everybody there in Du Bois County, if I went in and said, Independent Baptist out on my sign, who are they going to associate me with, even though we are autonomous and self-governing individual bodies? No, they don't. They, they just lump us all together. And so there's where that outside looking in is going to, you know, going to be the, the gainsayers and those that, that cast things in our teeth like they did Christ there on the cross. Anyway, so let's look at this inner curtain, the tent. The outer curtains, I'm sorry, the tent. The fa feature of the fabric, thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. The cover of the Palestinian goat was not white, but black. In the countries of the east, white goats were an unusual sight. They were so rare that they were almost unknown in, the, in that part of the world. The tents in which the Israelites lived were made of goat's hair, and the color of their tents was black. This is emphasized by the wisdom of Solomon. He said, I am black, but comely. O daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. 
I never did associate the curtains and the tents being black when Brother Hall preached the I am black but comely um, there in the Song of Solomon. So these curtains were black, apparently. Black is the, com- is the color commonly associated with sin. It is the opposite to the nature of God, which is light. Sin wears a shroud of darkness. Think of the evil committed under the cover of night. The relationship of evil to darkness is underlined by the witness of John, he said. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, John three nineteen. It is further supported by Paul who said, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light, Romans thirteen twelve. He said to the church at Ephesus, For we, are, we were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, Ephesians 5, 8. Solomon said, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble, Proverbs four nineteen. The goat was one of the animals used as the sin offering. Moses said to Aaron, And unto the children of Israel thou shalt speak, saying, Take ye a kid of the goats for a sin offering, Leviticus 9, 3. In the same chapter we read, And he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and slew it and offered it for sin as at the first, Leviticus 9.15. In Numbers 28.22, the goat is again found as a sin offering to make atonement for the people. The black goat's hair speaks of Christ's identification with sin in order to put it away. Paul said to the congregation at Corinth, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So, so this first covering, we see that it's, he's right, the, we see the righteousness of Christ, the purity of Christ with the inner curtains in the operating area arena of the priest in Christ. But these now outer curtains that covers the inner curtains up, we see this example that Christ was made sin for us in these black curtains. And it denotes that. He said to be redeemed at Rome to the redeemed at Rome, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So he, he said here, back up to the other one, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. And then there in Romans, uh, he, was, he was God sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He was sinless, but he was in the likeness of sinful flesh in his humanity, and he died for sin. Upon him was placed the sin of the world. Judgment on the cross. And it was done in darkness, in the time of darkness upon the earth. During that period of time at Calvary, there was a business transaction taking place that was to be hid. Hidden. And when we understand that aspect of the way the coverings are layered, we see the inner fine twined linen. Then we see these curtains of goat's hair. And then on the outside are these badger skins dyed red. Okay, and we're going to get to those next time probably. So, So this blackness, these black curtains were sandwiched in between the two layers. And again, like sin was placed upon Jesus Christ during that darkness upon the world and that time that that judgment fell upon Christ for the sins of the world, it was hidden from the world in the darkness that was put upon the earth. So, let's see. To the elect at Ephesus, he said, Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling sa- uh, savor. Ephesians 5.2, the author of the book of Hebrews said, But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.26. Sin was on Christ but not in him. Because all our sins were laid on Christ, they are no longer on us. Hallelujah. 
Sin is still in us, but it is no longer on us or against us. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. Isaiah 56, 3, 6. The ghost hair curtains were unseen by the priest who served inside the tabernacle. These curtains were hidden from view by the linen curtains. The blackness of sin is hidden by the righteousness of Christ. God said, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. Isaiah 44, 22. In the 38th chapter of Isaiah said, For thou hast cast all my sins behind my back. Isaiah 38, 17. In the book of Hebrews, God said, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. Isaiah 44, uh, let's see, 22. Why did it say that? Um, and in, uh, in the 38th chapter of Isaiah, For thou hast cast all my sins behind my back. Isaiah 38, 17. How is this in here twice, or am I reading it twice? Maybe I am. In the book of Hebrews, God said, and their, uh, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more, Hebrews 10, 17. In each of the previous passages, this sin is shown to be hidden from... Absolutely. Where is he at? I didn't get it. All right. I didn't think I was going to go that way. I know why, because of the, the part about, uh, about the, uh, the women that was put out there. So... We get, the, we get the gist of that. So the priests didn't see the, the black curtains. They're in Christ, in the righteousness of Christ. And that's the way God operates from the inside out. He cleans up the inside. The outside still may show signs of blackness to the world, but God looks at the heart. And God knows our heart, and he looks at the heart. He knows that if we have received Christ, and if we've received him, he looks at us through the righteousness of Christ. And so, again, as we look at the tabernacle, when you read through these, you know, in the, in the scriptures, and then we'll look at the badger skin, and we'll go back to the grommets and the loops and the numbers and everything, the colors, that is, is put here in this scripture. And we'll try to pull these things out, but when you read this, just slow down and say, there's got to be something to that. And then do a word study on 50. Do a word study on gold. Do a word study on brass. And understand because there is a principle in, uh, there is a hermeneutical principle that, that's the joke behind that with Brother Law, hermeneutical principle in the Word of God. It's called the first mention principle in the Word of God. And when it's first mentioned in the Word of God, that m most of the time it follows that throughout the Scripture. So if Brass, when it's mentioned, just for example, we mentioned brass is a number of as a, as a type of judgment, and we see oftentimes in, like, like I pointed out, the brazen altar. When we see brass, and we see brass through the scripture, oftentimes, more than likely, because it was associated with judgment the first time, then it may, and more than likely, be uh, associated with judgment throughout the scripture. And so, just like the goat here, uh, the sacrifice for sin, the scapegoat we also know about, and a sin offering. And, in fact, I think it was Brother Glenn last week that was alluding to that, and how that they take it out in the wilderness, the strong man, and release it. After having identified our iniquities to that animal. And 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 then and then the the you know the price that was given to Judas for Jesus Christ in the betrayal, it goes back to the Old Testament price of these sacrifices. All these things actually for the the female, and there's something in that too, which we'll get to. But all these don't don't just read over it and read through it. Just there there are. Something about Christ in the Old Testament. The Old Te in, on each page of the Old Testament, it might not say Jesus Christ, but there is something about Christ because the Old Testament is, Christ, Jesus Christ is enfolded in the Old Testament. And it is unfolded in the New Testament, the doctrines of Christ and salvation and so on and so forth. 
So when you're reading the Old Testament scriptures, all scripture is given by inspiration. <laughs> so a lot of times there's churches that I know and denominations I know that they don't give, they don't do a whole lot in the Old Testament. Because they don't, they don't understand and know that the Old Testament points to the New Testament, points to Christ, and he's, he is enfolded in the Old Testament. Isaiah, we just read those scriptures. Isaiah and the Messianic Psalms, he's in there. But as, as you read, just pray before you read, Lord, open my eyes to the scriptures. Lord, help me to see Christ in the scriptures. And as you're reading in the Old Testament, you see, you know, when you read the sacrifices, you know he was the ultimate sacrifice. When you read about all these little things, look for Christ in the reading. He's there. <laughs> He's there. And like I said, we'll hopefully get a little bit more study behind it for our next time, and then we'll bring out some of these other things, um, Lord willing, as we look back into this. And again, so that we can get through these things, we can go into Hebrews which is definitely a rich study in itself, all right? Whew. All right, we're going to pray, be dismissed, and then just pray that I'll get some good rest tonight. And uh, there's a, I'm dealing with some kind of allergy. In Tennessee, I didn't deal with it. Must, is that the Lord telling me I need to move back? No, because I come back to Oklahoma, and it's just a, it doesn't come out my nose. It just goes down the back of my throat, and it's super thick. And I get up coughing in the middle of the night unless I take something before, and I'm going to take something before. But uh, and pray for Lisa. Lord, give her strength and help. And then pray for the Halls. Pray for Roy, Virginia. Pray for, uh, we mentioned, uh, mm -hmm, Pam mentioned Randy Kay with the uh, shingles coming back on her, the outbreak there. And I know this one woman, preacher's wife, uh, she she probably still does. I don't know if she ever got a grip on it through some medicine or not, but she just fought and fought and fought and fought and fought and fought shingles for years. And so I know that it does come out and on some more than others. Everybody that's had the chicken pox is susceptible to the shingles. And uh, my son Andrew was a rare case. Uh, very rarely do you see shingles in a young person. Rarely. I mean, really rare. In fact, um, when it broke out on my son, Andrew, he was about eight years old. Uh, so the doctor come to the door. He, does, he said he didn't like rashes. He just come to the door and looked at him from the doorway, <laughs> literally. So he comes to the door, pulls out the little chart, looks at him in there and says, you know, a rash. He goes, let me see. And so my, Andrew lifted up his shirt, and, uh, and he just looked at it, and he had to know him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he steps back. And he calls a resident that was working down the hall doing his residency. He says, Dr. So-and-so, come here. And as he's coming to him, he's, saying, he's telling him, he goes, I'm going to show you something that you'll probably never, ever, ever see in your, whole, in your entire practice ever again. And as he come to the door, he says, an eight-year-old with shingles, <laughs> so, because it's that rare. And so uh, it broke out on Andrew, and to my knowledge, he's not had any problems since then, but it can, but do pray for Randy Kay and her shingles and uh, these other prayer requests and needs as we uh, go out throughout the week. Pray for Amber. And uh, I know that Josh and Jennifer went and seen her this afternoon, extra dose of prayer for her. I pray for her this afternoon. Continue to pray for her, lift her up through the week, and uh, pray for Roy. And then Dorothy, Roy's sister, also experiencing, and that's Amber's mom, right? No, okay. Dor Dorothy, uh, Roy's sister, uh, that's, anyway, Dor <laughs> hard to keep up. Dorothy, Roy's sister, also experienced some health needs and pray for her and them, all right? So pray for one another. Lord willing, we'll be back Wednesday night with our next installment in Elemental Theology as we're getting into that next section there and it slipped my mind as to what that section's called because I'm tired. All right, so we're going to ask Brother Tim to dismiss us in a word of prayer.